This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Architectural models are clearly within the architect's domain, but are you in the physical or digital model camp? That's the subject matter for today's episode, as we discuss models and their role in the creative process. Today's episode is brought to you with support from Peterson. Hi everyone, I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we're talking about models, which includes both physical and digital models and their role in the creative process. I know we have a lot of ground to cover today, but I'm already wondering if we will determine if one version is superior to the other. Battle Royale. Of course we will. You think we will? Uh, Maybe, I don't know. Well, we also have a guest sitting in with us today, and I know he has hot opinions regarding models, which is why I asked him to join us. And his opinions focus around their role in a modern architectural office and whether one is better than the other. Partner, principal, and owner at Boca Powell, and technically speaking, my new boss. I'm starting to wonder if having him on this show is a smart career move on my part. Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. So, Andrew Bennett. Hey, Bob. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for joining us today in the comforts of my house. Yes, it is quite comfortable. Live from the living room. Yes, thanks for the glass of water. (laughs) I'm super generous. Since this (laughs) is a fairly hot topic, models, model making, model, whether it's digital, whether it's physical, let's start our conversation off at the 10,000 foot elevation. Let's talk about physical models first, like the role and value of a physical model. You want to start, A.B.? Yes. (laughs) Let me take a shot at this because, again, I like the idea that we both went to UT. We had this very similar academic background. And at UT, we had these visual communications classes. And early on, it was about how do you draw? What are line weights? What are these kinds of things? But also, we were doing crazy little wiki-wacky study models. Mm -hmm. And it was early on them instilling in us that we were going to be visually communicating design. And how can you do that? Certainly with drawings as architects. But when you get into the physical model world... All of a sudden, it becomes this tactile thing that somebody can pick up and spin around. You can't really do that with an elevation or a plan. Exactly. You know what? I have a little note here that I jotted down for two reasons. One, it's kind of proof that physical models are better than digital models in mm-hmm. a very specific area. Yeah, you're, going, you're going there early. <laughs> I am, but I'm putting a caveat in a very specific kind of realm, which yeah. I don't think you'd know this. You may believe it, but I have evidence here, yes. and I'll put the link in the blog post to this scientific r- evidence. Yeah. Cause I went to the internet where all facts all things are true. All facts are stored. Yeah, on the absolutely. Internet. So I did find, I mean, this was a deep, deep dive. Yeah. At least 10 minutes, right? It was a research paper on physical models straight up against digital models and how they're perceived by a third party. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the title of this, I'm going to call it a white paper. It was a research paper. It was called differences in spatial understanding between physical and virtual models. Kind of exactly what we're here talking about today. And I printed out, it's just a little light bathroom reading, but I'm going to summarize the results for you. The study was basically evaluating if people understood what they were looking at better when they looked at a digital model versus a physical model. Pretty easy parameters. And they took a section of Japan, actually. So they ended up creating like a 600 by 600 meter section of Japan. And they modeled it digitally and they built a physical model. And they have all these parameters of how they set it up. Sounds like a cool experiment. It was a cool experiment. And they started asking people. The test study only included 24 individuals, nine of which were actually architecture students. 
then the premise was is they wanted to have a test group that wasn't completely devoid of spatial training mm-hmm. to see if they can make the difference. And what they asked people to differentiate was, is this taller than that? Is this the same height? Is this closer or is this farther away? And it was the same chunk of Japan that they digitally modeled and they physically modeled. And they put them in front of them and they timed their responses when they said, the roof of this building to that building, which one's taller? Click, give me the answer kind of thing. And overwhelmingly, the physical model outperformed like their ability to understand what they were looking at spatially. As you read this article superior. and did this research, do you feel like they gave them a still of the virtual model or did they give them something that was dynamic and could be moved around? They gave them a still. Yeah. So there's a big. Well, no, I actually, there. I don't know that. That's yeah. a good question. I saw the digital model and it was not like the kind that we make. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't spectacular. It was like massing models. Yeah. It was not a spectacular model. Right. But the physical model wasn't It didn't have all the detail. Either. It was just yeah, literally was no the massing detail. of all the 600 meter by 600 meter buildings. That's right. But there was SketchUp no- up cubes or something. Yes. Yeah, I mean, volumes. There was no massing on the physical model either. They were in a similar look, but one was physical that they could actually probably move around. One was probably a still. But I don't know that they moved either around. Well, but if they were in the physical realm of the model where they could look at the... Well, it was it was set on a table yeah. in front of them mm-hmm. at 30 degrees, mm-hmm. which was the same view that the, they got the image was captured. So your ability to look at this image and then look at the 3D manifestation, basically, mm-hmm. of the digital image that they had created. I mean, they went to great lengths to say it's exactly the same. They didn't allow people to walk around the physical model to get an understanding of it. Well, you know me well enough, Bob, I could go down a lot of rabbit holes. It immediately conjures up this whole idea of what we've been already sharing with you at Boca Pal. When we're in a SketchUp model with a client, we move around in that model. We spin around. They say, let's go over there and look at that piece. We go over there and look at that piece. And so I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of different pros and cons about physical models versus virtual models. But that ability to move around virtually is pretty powerful especially if you start to model in detail. And also then we'll talk, I'm assuming later on, we'll talk about the editing that can be done. We can talk about whatever you want. Yeah, but think about it. The editing of a virtual model versus the physical model. And I can't wait to tell stories about the model making culture in Dallas, Texas, as it is today. Right. Has deteriorated to the point where there is one model maker that you can go out and hire to do high-end models. And he's awesome. Can I throw a shout out? If you want. Shout out to Mark Gower. Okay. G-A-W-O-R. And he's awesome. He makes tons of- Hey, Mark, of- we're get, we'll send you a bill when we're finished here yes. for your free yes, ad. Thanks for sponsoring the show. <laughs> in, in, inadvertently. Some of the other firms have model shops, I'm assuming still. Yeah. Some of the firms we partner with on a design basis have some really cool model shops, but that physical model culture is kind of waning. It's kind of dying but out. But I think that's as a whole. I don't even say that's specific to Dallas. I mean, it's yeah. just the industry as a whole. I think it all has to do with time. Mm-hmm. I almost think all of us would probably prefer, I mean, as architects, would prefer to have a physical model of something. We may agree on that. But that the time yes, it takes to make those now, the business model just doesn't allow for it in reality. That's a great point. And I know you guys are probably going to ask me most of the questions, but can I ask you, Andrew, since I just met you today, <laughs> what's your history with model making, the physical model making realm? for like in your background where did you know through your education i did it all during my education yeah i mean because i didn't do anything digital even in grad school everything i did was by hand mm-hmm. i mean i'm i yeah. mean i look that old but i am that we're old. all yeah, old, we're so all that, old people well yeah i was i was not going to go there but I, again kind of dating us bob and i are lucky enough to cross over from basically the analog world to the digital world it i'm sounds in that like same boat same i'm boat. in that same boat right. 
I'm only about four years behind Bob. Yeah. I don't know. Were you in there? I guess yeah, you're close. I'm two but... years ahead. So okay. So yeah. You don't have to. He likes to say ahead. What is really older is what it is. It, what it is. Well, yeah. but if yeah, if you average our age together, you're a little older and I'm a little younger. Yeah, you're bring you're making me older. Just being yeah, in your that's company is making yes, me older. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I did a lot of physical models during my education. And were you doing chipboard, basswood, all the you above. name it, you, you know, name the, it, the man. plastyrene, all that. Yep. Yep. I did it all. Yeah. I mean, granted, I did it all by hand. Yes. Hey, I want to interrupt here because we're getting too far. Down well, we're going yeah. down a rabbit hole. I told you. No, which is fine. The thing that we need to say, because you don't know, Andrew Hawkins, he teaches at A&M. The idea now, rather than the fact that we all built stuff by hand, we all built models. The question is at your school, in your classes, you have the ability yes. to say, I think this is important. I'm going to make it part of my curriculum in my class. Do you do that? Yes, Andrew I do Hawkins. try. Yes. Do you do that? I do. I try to do that. It's often difficult, though, because the mentality of the students is still a little different. Because even if we want to do study models, their tendency is to draw it first, CNC cut it, and then put it together, which is hard to regulate. I haven't been doing it that long, so I'm trying to figure out ways to get around that so that they actually have to use their hands and do it. The other thing that you're hinting at, too, Andrew, is that, and again, it's a complete other rabbit hole, is the mentality of students these days and what they can handle from a attention span. Building a physical model is like drawing, you know, old school hand drawings. You get to think about every move you make. So if you're cutting out something exactly. for an elevation, you're thinking about what that means. If you're cutting out the gable of a roof, you're thinking about what's the pitch of that gable. You don't do that when you're in Rhino or if you're just doing a hand sketch super quick. I think it's an attention span issue. And like you said earlier, a time management issue. It's just not as efficient to build physical models. I was going to say... I don't want to make this because I get enough feedback to go. I don't want to make it a reduction for people who don't build physical models to, to diminish their skill set or how they're able to think three-dimensionally. Heck from, no. You no. Know, I don't want to go down the road. Thing. So one of the things that I think is important to differentiate between these two is that just the act of making a model forces you to move more slowly, which I think that's what makes you think about it differently or more in depth than a digital model because it's all on you. You can't count on a computer to do it and you look at it and go, well, that's not right. I need to adjust it. You have to figure that out for yourself. And just the labor that goes involved with cutting a piece of whatever your model medium is going to be, the process just slows everything down. And I think that's what forces you to internalize the end result maybe a little bit differently than spinning stuff around and building it and zooming it around and extruding something and extrapolating and cutting and splicing and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. I agree. I asked you about limitations of this conversation. You said there are none. So I'll go back to the Paleolithic era. I'll go back prehistoric here. Whoa. I was in Italy in May and this is... He is a dinosaur. This is he me. Is bringing this, is, it. this is me scoreboarding, if you will. Yeah. I was in Italy in May. I was in Milan at the Duomo and the Duomo Museum had all these mock-ups and models that were built, you know, over 200 years. Again, I don't know my history that well, but call it 100 years of different studies of all those arches and all that, the layering of the materials. And so, again, bringing that forward to 2019, we just broke ground on our 17-story building in Victory. You know, in today's world, you build a mock-up. That's the model that the contractor's going to build that's going to be the size of Bob's fireplace right here. And those we're going to test connections, joints, materiality. That's where the contractor is actually going to test on this particular case, raw concrete. We're doing an exposed concrete frame. And we'll see how that goes. But that's to your point, Bob, that you were just making. The only way to really test that is actually physically build a piece of it. You can't draw that and know it's going to work, right? Yeah. And 
Well, you but want, again, that's about time. I yeah. think too, though. I mean, again, some projects they don't want to take the time to build the mock-ups because they just want to go and. Again, I was using the Dallas market a minute ago, but as you said, Andrew, it's it's around the country, it's around the world. You've got developers, clients, they want results more quickly, and so they're not going to pay you to take six months to build a really cool model. So let's move on that note, because I think we all are just we agree with each other. We're saying the same thing over Spin again it in circles. I guess. So let's move on to digital models and talk about their value and their role in a modern architectural office, which is really the main reason why I asked Andrew Bennett to join us today is because he is the leader, partner, owner, principal, guru. Actually, that's my title. Keep going. No, you are the guru. I've introduced you as the guru like four times this week to where it's getting uncomfortable. I I prefer it. It seems it's El Presidente now. Yeah. That's what it should be. Well, you know, it depends on who we're talking to. That will stick in our firm, Andrew. You'll see... We'll It'll see. be on our website. Please, please don't. <laughs> For my sake. All right. You zip it over oh, there. Uh-huh, right. All right. So the reason I ask you here is your position in leadership allows you to say, hey, this is a direction we want the firm to take. We're going to invest the company's money into this software, into this equipment so that we can do what we feel is necessary to not only become or remain or reposition ourselves as thought leaders in this process, but to say it's going to give us a better product. Absolutely. So 23 years ago, when I got to the firm, John was a guy who had this antiquated 3D modeling program. I don't know, alias up front, I think, or some kind of weird name. He pushed it and he said, we got to start doing this. This is coming. And all of a sudden we were doing it. And in the late nineties and right at the turn of the century, which really makes us all sound old. When you said turn of the century, I was thinking like 1900. Exactly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but we took off and we were competing again against the big firms that we compete against by having a digital presence and being able to model and use that as a design tool. We have invested for the last 23 years upfront very quickly in whatever our people needed to the point where if we have a software need and we have these kids come in and they're using something we're not using, you know, we... Again, dating myself and making it easier for people that have skills issues, I can do SketchUp. I can do it really well, but I can't do Grasshopper. I can't do Rhino. I can't do Revit 3D, which is, it's all getting better because Revit, it's always a business case for these companies. They want to make sure they can do everything the other companies are doing. And I know, Bob, that you've gone and spoke at SketchUp conferences and things like that. So you see that if somebody picks up a new tool that does something really cool or a plugin that does rendering really fast, everybody's going to jump on that bandwagon. And they're going to try to make their digital process, again, even more faster and more efficient and more wow whiz bang. I will say this. Walking around the offices this week, I was staggered to see how many computers were open and running SketchUp. Mm-hmm. I mean. Like literally probably 80%. Out of, I mean, we have 100 was, people. I was like, everybody was on it. We have 80 people in the Dallas office, probably 60 of them that are production and not support. And so out of those 60 people, probably right 50. 45, 40 of them. I mean, yeah, it's constant. And of course I sit in, I don't know if this is correct. It's just my one week observation, but I sit in the designer pod. That is correct. And that's all they use. Yeah. They're not even in Revit. They're, they're all doing the things they need to do to, to hit quick deadlines for clients. Because as you know, from our firm, we have a more of a developer driven kind of model. And that means pace is fast, fast paced. We deliver it quickly. Here's a quick story about 
the physical versus virtual. We were chasing a corporate campus that was going to house over 3,000 people, big time, lots of buildings, right? And so when we had the opportunity to prepare for that, we did physical models and virtual models, both. You know, you try to solve the both and. Right. That was at the birth of 3D printing. And so we were doing these master plan models, which as you walked around the office this week too, yeah. you saw them up on the shelves. They're beautiful because they're study models. They're not complete marketing style models, but they allowed that client, that user for a, a large corporate campus to sort of see the idea of this is the hierarchy of where our buildings are going to be. This was a college campus style scale of project. Yeah. And so to do finished renderings of something that's very inspiring and sexy maybe, and then also to do something that's practical that shows the planning through something physical, it really was a, a great both and opportunity to use both styles of modeling. You know, Andrew Hawkins, I, I got to rethink this whole having two Andrews on the show. Maybe. Yes. So based on what you heard Andrew Bennett just say. Yes. The question I have for you is the technology that's being used in university today. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I know you have plotters and printers and 3D stuff that's getting done. Can you just talk about what the kids going through the education process now, what they're coming out, the knowledge that they're knowing? Because. You know what's going to happen, Andrew Bennett, is those kids are going to come out with a skill set that you want to make sure you take advantage of. So what they're learning in school, they come out and they say, I have this arrow in my quiver. Mm -hmm. And this tool, they it's a might, toolbox. Thing. They might be looking for a place that can actually allow them to take advantage of this knowledge that they have. What's, what's you know, I think, I think that that doesn't quite happen or translate as well as it should. I say that because I think that most of the university systems have more technology and are more advanced than a lot of the practice because as a profession, we typically are a slow moving boat and we kind of adopt things later. And some of the students that come out actually have a greater skill set in some manner, maybe not as an architect, but as a production person than some companies actually have the resources, the resources yeah. to do to take advantage. Because again, Essentially, when you're a student, you're working for one of the largest architecture firms in the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got access to, at A&M, there are... That's a really cool analogy. I haven't heard that. I think That's there's true. probably 50 3D printers. What firm has 50 You 3D can buy printers? one in the bookstore at the university. But what architecture firm really? I mean, even some of the biggest ones, they probably don't have 50. No, no way. So it's that kind of disparity, right, I think, that gets to be an issue. Because they do have a large skill set. I mean, they're using Grasshopper, they're using Rhino, they're printing 3D things, they're CNC routing models. They're doing mm -hmm. all these things that is great for their education and gives them a really strong skill set in certain aspects. But I would say that when you move out, not a lot of firms have those resources that they're allowed to participate in or use or apply their skill set to. I know a couple of big firms that have them, but the scale doesn't seem to translate from the work that they do to the product because most of the 3D printers are they can only print out a model that's so big. They're not that large. And so you end up having this like crazy Tetris yes. kind of model that you have to you kind have to of design the together. design. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but the students, the students are the same way. Yeah. I mean, cause they only same have a, printers. the same sort of thing. Yeah. No, no, what I, but the they point, have a set the of being point, able to do that. the point I was trying to make was that not what the university was doing, what that translated to the professional office environment mm -hmm. is that I don't really see it happening very much in large firms. Because I don't think that they see that their end user, which is the client, is going to be able to look at this tetrasized model of parts and have the same level of appreciation to it. All the firms I know that do it, they do small projects. Like our friend Anthony Laney, Laney, Laney yeah, they yeah. use it all the time. They're a residential firm. 
and they used a great extents and it looks fantastic and then our, that's also a scale issue don't you think because it's yeah uh, that's kind no, of that's my, exactly that's the, my point yeah, that's the thing yeah. our friend greg in fort worth and yeah. bart yeah they have like four of them in their office and i don't know how big their office is up to they have like 10 people and they have like four or five 3d maker bots or whatever mm-hmm. yeah so it, it seems like that 3d printing technology doesn't seem to be manifesting itself in quite the same way in large firms that it does in small firms and i think that's a limitation to the platform that it's able to create. No, I agree. I mean, you can do like well, a li- little study models, but it's mostly study models. And back to Andrew's point about resources to buy something that's industrial size, that's out there is still cost prohibitive. So yeah, I mean, for almost anybody, I yeah, mean, yeah, but it's, it's just, coming. I mean, yeah, it's I think there. It is. It's going to be there. People are 3d printing houses. I, I mean, know. they talk about 3d printing building materials. That that's kind a whole of, different that, deal, but, but that yeah. loops it back to the point of where this conversation started that we went down a path on almost instantly was the value and role that digital models play in the modern architectural office and all these shortcomings that we just kind of pointed out with physical models. And especially when we're talking about the scale of some of these projects, that's the void that the digital models are filling. Like my first day on the job, I'm looking at in the design studio where I'm sitting now. They're designing two monstrously huge, amazingly cool skyscraper products. For someone to look at it and go, that's amazing. A physical model just wouldn't get it done in the same way. Not that, in the same time frame. Uh, certainly not in the same time frame. But I think in the same way. I just think not in the same time frame. And maybe that's just me as an architect. Because, you know, when I go to museums or I go to someplace and there's a model of a building, I'm doing a renovation of a visitor center in, in East Texas. It's a small project, but they had this model that's as big as your coffee table here of what building that we're in was supposed to be like and sure. I'm, you know i'm like hey man i'm gonna take that back to my office I mean, you guys are gonna throw in the trash but that's cool that's, yeah, that's you know cool. i mean it's that's the thing can i talk about that for a second because when we build a physical model and the gentleman that still does models he will do it for a marketing purpose so it's when a developer pulls the trigger and does something like that with lights and bells and whistles and kids in balloons we have a model that our developer client has in their lobby. It gives it becomes a marketing tool. Yeah, it's an end product. Yeah, you create. You like yeah, we're done with this. this now is we what make it's a going model. to look like. And you know what? The kind of excitement that that instills in people that view the model, just like what Andrew just said when he found that model in the building that he's working on, it's really cool. Same thing. You know, we don't do a lot of church and school projects, but we did one where we have. You know, you want to get people excited about donating money, so you build a model of the campus and you show these additions that you're going to do, and you put it in there, and you put lights in there, and you put it in the narthex of the church and all of a sudden wow everyone goes this is cool okay i don't disagree with that because if i took the same project and i put let's just say the most amazing digital images of that product and ever seen ever made on the walls and then put a physical model in the middle of the room everyone would go to the physical absolutely because we had the renderings behind and they you know they'd look at the renderings but they wouldn't understand them they understand they're going to go to the physical model but what that means is that during the iterative creative process that the physical models that you're talking about now and the ones that Andrew Hawkins just said that he loves, they're finished product. Yeah. That's like a, we're done. Let's make it as a tool that allows us to communicate what's happening here. That's not the same thing as what, in my mind, the role of a model is a creative byproduct of a process. It's a visual communications tool. It allows me to say, what about this? And I'm sure we all have stories about, hey, when we're in architecture school, we built a model and some teacher like broke Ripped. a piece mm-hmm. off and you just like, Never. Can like, I name oh drop my that? <laughs> mine, mine were always so perfect. They never did they. No, you didn't have. Oh, I'm talking about the professor would go. Oh, yeah, this no, is exactly. If he just That's did, what I'm talking about. They just, never did that with mine. Well, we I did, saw them do they, it with other people. They did that at class, UT. But oh, they did that. There were several professors that were 
I never famous. had one of mine ripped apart, but I, I never did, did either. It's I a, had a column ripped off of one of mine. There were certain <laughs> professors, yeah, that were famous for that. The funny thing is, I feel like if I did that today, I might get fired. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I like, oh, wait, this is not crack. Break it off. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to take they, they that might, kid's participation trophy away. They from might them. kill me. But, well, AB said something the other day. It had to do with value engineering, but it was talking about if you could just flick it off the model. Yeah. If, yeah. if you could just flick it, maybe that's not a good thing. Then it's going to go away from the, pro- yeah. like in real life. Yes. <laughs> if I can have a model and it, I can just like thump it and break a piece off, that piece shouldn't exist in the realized real, built. Yeah, yes. in the realized and built that's thing, me yeah. sort of riffing on postmodern versus modern architecture. I think it's right though. Yeah. Bob, fundamentally, here's the issue with physical models and digital models. When you get the pleasure of interviewing with me for projects, you'll hear this sort of funny line I think I have where I tell a future client, that we work in SketchUp, we work in 3D, because you can look at it, make a cut in it like a dollhouse. Most people know what that's like. And the joke that I make is I know architects that can't read plans. And so when you can show some... That's not a joke. Yeah, I know. It's a reality, sadly. But when you go into a design meeting with a 3D model that you can do a dollhouse cut in and move around in that, they instantaneously start to understand that way more quickly than they would a flat black and white drawing with door swings and door bubbles and section cut marks. and Oh, for sure. But we're not talking about the 2D drawing versus any 3D iteration, whether it be digital or physical, Mm -hmm. right? Just anything three-dimensional allows people who don't look at drawings for a living to understand what they're looking at better. Mm -hmm. I think that's a safe place to just start Mm -hmm. the conversation. Sure. More from Life of an Architect in a moment. Bob. Are you familiar with Peterson and Pat Clad metal cladding product? I've used them a couple times, but I could always stand to learn a bit more. What do you got? Peterson manufactures Pat Clad metal cladding products in multiple gauges of steel and aluminum. Their products include standing seam roof panels, hidden and exposed fastener wall panels, perforated metal, plus coil and flat sheet metal. Mm-hmm. All are available with a Kynar finish in their 45 standard colors and covered by a 30-year finish warranty. Have you ever used their perforated metal panels? They always look like really cool. No, I haven't, but I've always wanted to because their perforated metal panels allow you to create innovative and interesting building facades on any building type. You can create screens, partitions, graphic overlays, which I think are really cool, sign panels, and anything else you want to. They're even really well suited for diffusing light, air, and sound. You can even get different panel effects by the variations of the perforations in their size and their spacing. If I want to learn more about Peterson and Pat Clad metal cladding products, where should I go? You should visit pack-clad.com to view all of Peterson's Pat Clad products. That's a lot of P. You should visit pack-clad.com to view all of Peterson's Pat Clad products. Again. I think I'll do that. Again, pack-clad.com. And you're struggling. With the pack-clad. Let's see. Let me show you how it's done. Yeah, sure. You should visit pack-clad.com to view all of Peterson's pack-clad products. <laughs> <laughs> and check out their really cool perforated panels. Yes. You know, I had a dream last night. It was me, Cindy Crawford, and Peterson's pack-clad perforated metal panels. I'm sure that it was. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you, when I woke up this morning, drenched in sweat, all I could think of was, those panels looked amazing. <laughs> <laughs> those are the most beautiful panels I've ever seen. I know, they were amazing. One of the things I want to talk about, because we could make this podcast be three hours long on this topic, mm-hmm. is I want to talk a little bit about the programs. If we don't talk about it, people are going to let me hear about it. And I can say that... We've been talking about one. 
already. Yep. Yeah, SketchUp. Yeah. SketchUp gets a lot sort of love. Of the, it's the big one. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I almost guarantee you I will hear is people will say, and I'm a SketchUp fan, right? And the people at SketchUp know me and they know I'm a fan. So this is not a shot at SketchUp. The question is, is people feel the vocal majority feel that that's a wasted step in the process to like do them well in their mind to take it redundant you're building the model in one program and then you're having to export it and fix it and change it to be in another software so the sketchup guy will defend it and say sketchup is like clay you push and pull it it is so fast you just go. I agree with you. That's my argument. Is hey, first I, off, don't be eyeballing me. That's not my position. Well, I wasn't eyeballing you. Threw you. it out there. <laughs> I wasn't eyeballing you. Yeah, I agree because I use SketchUp in my office as well. Until the concept is set, everything we do is SketchUp because it's so easy to manipulate. And if you know how to render things, you can still get great imagery oh, yeah. out of it. Yes, I think phenomenal. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, the end product. But it allows us to, I can have three people working on three different iterations of the same thing and be able to present those to the client in a short amount of time. No, I, I agree. I, it's, I, I'm a fan of SketchUp for sure. It's so inherently easy to learn. And I can say it's that. It's very intuitive. Yes. Because yeah. I, again, over my career, I didn't, I didn't become a Revit guy. I, I actually never was, uh, we, our firm for the longest time was using MicroStation, Bentley MicroStation. For our 2D drawings before we went into the 3D world. I know, it was crazy. But, you know, they Norman Foster's office used it. Morphosis used it. So they were using their 3D capabilities of Bentley MicroStation systems. So AutoCAD became the 900-pound gorilla, took over the world, Autodesk. Right, yeah. But SketchUp all of a sudden comes along and allowed me at a, in my midlife crisis at age 40 to sort of take off and model the heck out of things. And I like what you said, Andrew. I think the people who use it the best use it early on conceptually. What Bob is probably already seeing in our office is we're putting a lot of detail into our SketchUp models and then rebuilding them in Revit. And I think that's what you're hinting at is the... I'm not hinting. I'm regurgitating an argument that has showed up on my website. Yeah. Numerous, numerous, numerous times. Over the yeah. head that's the argument. I'm saying that I know that for me in my process, I'll put it in context. So at my last office, I was the only one in there that used SketchUp. Everyone else in there was spoke Revit. And went right to it. And they went straight to yep. it. And... When I pull out my SketchUp, they're almost like, oh, that's cute. He's pulling out his crayons mm-hmm. to do but stuff. Now that you've seen what we're doing with it, you probably are, you should feel comfortable because that's where most of our creative ideas are starting there. They all, I'm just saying, they all think that it's a wasted step. They're like, why wouldn't you just go straight to, I'm playing moderator here. Yeah, I, you're I, moderator. Because yeah. I, I, so, I don't know Revit well enough. I can't make the well, argument. Me, but what I am trying to say is that I think that what the point, at least what the two Andrews are saying, is that if you use it in the right way, it's an incredibly valuable resource. You oh can gosh. use it in the very beginning, but there comes a time when you put SketchUp away and then you go because you're both on Revit. Yes. Right? And, and, and the debate we have constantly is, are we doing it in SD or DD? And it's becoming more and more late SD. We're doing it in SD, uh, yeah. schematic design. I'm trying to think of a really cool hip analogy about if you're going to drive from here to Lubbock, are you going to drive in a Toyota or are you going to drive in an 18 wheeler? Are you going to fly there in a space shuttle? Because Revit is that more complex thing that does all these other things that you need it to do when you're documenting a building to get it built. But for SketchUp, it's maybe not a good analogy, but that Toyota is all I need. I know how to drive that car if I haven't been in it before. And it becomes with these plugins, these rendering plugins like Inkscape, it's like almost like an easy button. I and mean, you it, can use Inkscape has the same plugin for Oh, it's in Revit for too. For Revit. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing is, is 
at my last office, we would use Enscape because it has a plugin to go straight to VR that we would use. So as we're modeling within Revit, we'd use Enscape and we, I mean. And that's a whole other thing I wanted to get into about VR, but yeah. Oh yeah, I was waiting for that. I was, you didn't give me a script, so. You're talking about the disdain for SketchUp. It's in academia as well. They'd rather them learn Rhino or Grasshopper. So let me tell you like that, that I, here's, as opposed to SketchUp. That's interesting. And I feel like to me, again, I defend it because I think SketchUp is a really valuable and intuitive way to start just jacking around with 3D space. Yes. And I will tell you why I think that people are having that reaction is that you have to be very cautionary about not having buildings that look like SketchUp models. SketchUp has geometric limitations with its modeling. It's more simplistic. If you want to do complex geometries, Boolean curves, and all these other words that I don't really know what they mean, you're going to use Rhino. You're going to use yeah, Grasshopper. It's Rhino and Grasshopper. And you're yeah. going to use those things to create these buildings that look like they're in Dubai or China and all these other crazy geometries that young architects are thinking that's what they have to do to express themselves to build buildings. But SketchUp still does do... You, you just got you just got to be careful about how you use it. And it's an amazing tool. I... You know, I'll follow my sword on that one. No, and for me, actually, I think my comment would be somewhat similar in the sense that I feel like SketchUp allows more design freedom than Revit. Because Revit, to me, is even more... you got to make a lot of decisions. Well, but it's even more pragmatic in the sense of, like, I can't just start farting around with stuff and making forms that I can in SketchUp. You know what the analogy there is? Is if you're doing initial schematic design, Use a fat pen and not a yes. fine tip. And pen. that's what sketch up really inherently think of. That's the name. <gasps> light sketch bulb. Up. And hey, here's <laughs> another one. Bitch. Here's another light bulb. Okay. Sketch up. I've never read this. I'm not a guy that like goes and reads, all these sketch up. Yeah, stuff. I, yeah, I actually don't. I look at pictures, <laughs> but sketch up uses layer zero. They don't recommend that you, you don't have to layer anything. Everything gets grouped and componentized. And so you don't have to think like you're putting CDs together where you've got a door, this, a wall, that. So I, when I model in SketchUp, everything is layer zero. That's another thing you don't have to think about. But real ballers use layers. No, I disagree completely. <laughs> no. Not, but for certain things, not for everything. No. You two leg wrestle right yes. now. Yes. Yeah. You, yeah. You're going to have to see. I brought my computer so you could see some work. You don't but have to I agree. Think about There's it. a simplicity you, there that's it, okay. That you draw a window, nice. you group it, you componentize it, and then you put it off to the side. It can be layer zero. All right, ding, 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 yeah, ding. Anyway. We're moving on to the next section. There's no next section. There is. VR, I hope. There's some things I want to hit. Well, based on the people I know who listen to this show, because they read my stuff, one of the big players that's in the whole 3D visual creation world is Archicad. Yeah, I, I actually almost just mentioned that. And I never I, really used it. I got to tell you, I don't know how it translates to larger projects. But they love the people love it. Yeah. Oh my God, you've never seen a more passionate yes. user group. And right. you know what? And they say this is why you will walk away going, Give me some more of that Kool-Aid. Because mm-hmm. I'd already finished the glass. Mm-hmm. I started with it's amazing and it looks great. And it seems like there's fewer steps to get to where you want to be. Like it's got the 3D rendering engine seemingly built into the whole process. So it you don't have to do the well, SketchUp to Inkscape, or Revit yeah. to Inkscape, or Rhino to something else, or well, yeah, Revit's goal. I mean, they keep improving it. Is their goal is to not have you they, boot yeah, out? They anymore, want right? you in. They keep improving. That's their- what I was alluding to earlier. It's this cross pollinization of the strengths. Each software will steal the strength. Oh, they did that really well. Now let's do it again. Autodesk is the nine hundred pound gorilla. They're gonna have every bell and whistle they need. But I agree that the stuff that I see from people that do ArchiCAD, it's phenomenal looking. 
my caveat about that is I don't know how much it scales, how large of a project can you do yeah, yeah, horsepower-wise, right? Or and bandwidth. then the second thing is that I have also heard, though, that it doesn't, that none of your consultants are working in that. Right. So that translation conversion point. process is... Well, uh, that, that, that was that, our problem with MicroStation. And I mean, I hate to say that, but it's, there's at some well, level why that coordination market, has That's to why be. I would suggest that all the people I know that are currently on ARCHICAD, again, the vocal majority... They're all light commercial, yeah. residential. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's now, where I usually see it. We're talking, these are still multi-million dollar projects and they're still 15, 20, 25,000 square foot projects. They're still yeah, big projects, big projects, but, but just, they're, they're not a million square foot on top of a five stack parking base with a 500,000 square foot retail. I mean, different scale of things altogether. Mm -hmm. Sure. Now you had mentioned 3D Studio Max, which that seems to be, there's two of these that I want to bring up just mm. so that I can check the box. 3D Studio Max is unbelievably powerful. Mm -hmm. The things that I can do are crazy. And the one thing I've heard about is that you have to really know that it's, it's not complicated. E it's not easy software to yeah, use. I mean, for people that know it, I mean, that seems to be like, yes. that seems to be the top of the hill. I think I know the next one. Lumion. Yeah. Huh. yeah. So I like, we use Lumion yeah, in my office. We do too. And yeah. so the last two years we've been honored to be part of this Uber Elevate concept. Yes. Flying drones. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah. both he, years. He's presented in have you? DC yeah. on I've it. Been, I've and seen some of your stuff then through the magazine. Yeah. Los Angeles last year and then uh, Washington DC this year. And both of our solutions, I was so proud of our team, but both of those were rendered and animated. So now that we're getting in a moving 3D, mm -hmm. but they were rendered and animated in Lumion. And, uh, that's cool. It is cool. It's and cool. I mean, you got flying birds, flapping flags, people walking. The water. The landscaping the water. in Lumion is <laughs> phenomenal. Oh, yeah. It's all cool. That's where we learned it from was from our landscape architect partner that did project with us out of Seattle. That was Methune. Mm -hmm. They had Lumion and we were like, whoa, we got to do this. So that's you know, what you do in this industry. Yeah, is you cool, see, though. Yeah, it does seem it. like cool. that's the landscape. Landscape architects love Lumion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it is very good for that. Yeah. The lushness of the, it doesn't look fake. You can get, make it. They do nice work because it, it's got the right grass and the yeah. trees. Yeah. And I mean, it looks fake, but it still it looks good. Fake. Right. Brings it to life. Yeah. Early okay. Pixar good looking. Yeah. All yeah. right. I'm going to cover one more area that I think is important before we wrap up the technical aspect. Of the show and did we get, cover all your software that need to be covered. Well, no, we it's not mine. It, it's the haters. Mm. They're going to bomb me with why didn't you do this? Yeah. And this is better. Well, and you miss this. You it's miss a turf that. war. I mean, yeah. the, the, these people. When well, I mean when you these, love you I just something. They're really passionate about it. And if you don't, I still like I said, I know people that will defend Bentley MicroStation still and Bentley Systems. They're still out there. Okay, so I want to talk about the cultural impact that either a physical model could have within an office versus the digital modeling, and. This question, especially after the very passionate conversation we've had already today, changed my answer a little bit. So in my, in my last office, we had a culture building models. We had physical models everywhere. That's cool. And everybody loved it. And they walked yeah. in and they're like, this is what an architect's office is supposed Absolutely. to look like. Yes. Loved it. Getting clients standing around it and people building it and interns walking in. I mean, it sells itself. However. With the digital, I'm not saying that one's better than another here, but the digital modeling, I don't know how to say this. Does that sound like a complete jerk? That's just becoming business. That's just how we work now. The digital rendering, the digital modeling, it's a byproduct of the creative process. Now, like in order for us to do our jobs, we're doing digital modeling. Physical modeling, it's like a luxury. It is yeah, a luxury. It's like the extra step. It's the right, extra it's, mile. It's almost like you can't even compare the two anymore. 
because you can't. the passion and the inspiration though in the digital world is the VR side of things where you get that wow factor back. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I think so. Maybe. I I think, think that's I really for, I know that you do. Andrew, well, I here, think that in here's the thing years, that this is what's changed for me. I'll just get yeah, this in go. here real quick. So for years we'd go to conventions and you'd have some knuckleheads out there with their VR goggles and you're on some yeah. planet or yeah. doing something mm-hmm. stupid. And it always was like everyone's all in line to watch it. Yeah. I'd get in line. I was like, I don't want to miss out. I'd do it. I go, this kind of sucks. Yeah. And it's not that exciting. Well, within the last, I don't know, two years, the price on it has plummeted. Plummeted? And it's gotten really, really good. The interface between like the software we're using and the VR technology, the way it exists now, I go, we're going to be designing buildings using VR. I I totally believe that's coming. 100%. The project you always kind of mentioned with the stairs. Yes. Yeah. It's beautiful. My Oak Grove project. Mm-hmm. We did shop drawings using VR goggles. Yeah, that's pretty revolutionary. I, th- I should have brought my VR goggles. You can fly in our drone for the Uber Elevate. And it was oh, that'd be cool. produced by a company in California. And so it's really awesome. And I think that within three years, we're going to be sitting in a room where everyone's wearing goggles and Bob or somebody's going to be up there going, okay, what are we doing here? And everyone's looking at the same thing in that virtual world. Yeah. And some embodiment of the moderator can be seen. All you got to do is look at a movie like Ready Player One where that world is there and you got your avatar and. Okay. Okay. So I can see that. I guess for me, my argument was really in the physical versus the virtual. I still have a hard time thinking that the virtual environment Allows you to understand the exterior qualities and the, but the overall vastness of a building. A physical model, I think, is really well suited to the exterior volumes and massing and detailing. the idea of the building. Yeah. And I can make one that's really detailed and get a good grasp of it. I still feel like even when I put on VR goggles, that that's a difficult proposition in that scenario. I can get a feel for the space inside the building, yes. inside the rooms, inside the things, but I can't. Even if I'm flying in the drone, as cool as that sounds, you're in a vault, you're in a space. Yeah, you're but in a I drone. still don't feel like that that gives me the same understanding. Like we started off talking about the physical model and the we'll give you the barf bag, model, we, right? Well, we'll have you fly in it? Yeah, I you think do, there's still you do a, need a little barf bag. There's still a. I get what you're saying, but a I'm, disassociation I'm gonna, there, but right? But I'm going to say here's here's what started. The physical to get, is better. This is why I'm going to turn a corner on that. Okay, and that is so on the same project with the stairs. It's the co-working space we're doing. The clients, one of the clients, she's very petite. And I think on her tippy toes with her arm reaching out as far as she could get would not be considered very far by most people. And in our common room area, we have a kitchen area and it's got open shelves because we don't want people trying to figure out like behind what cabinet door is the coffee mugs or the plates or whatever. So it's just open shelving so we can put everything there. And they wanted a very particular coffee machine. So we started doing these studies on, well, how high if the coffee machine's got to go here, it's going to raise the shelf up. And I asked the question, I go, could you get a coffee cup off that first shelf? The very first shelf, could you get it? And we talked about it and I brought out a tape measure and I said, this is how big it is. And we kind of pantomime what it would be when we actually built it, put her on in the goggles where she could walk over and literally, cause you're holding on the, yeah, the little, the wand so she could see where the wand is. She walked over to the cabinet. And reached up, and she goes, you're right, I can't get it. And there's no way we would have been able to do that with any other kind of platform other than virtual reality. I don't disagree, but that's still an interior space thing. I, I think, Which I think it's great for that. 
Yeah. I think that. that well, I is, thought that's what you were saying that you could get a feel for the outside, but you no, couldn't. No, he was saying it the I was other way the around. Exact opposite. Mm-hmm. That you could get a feel for all of the inside, but the exterior volumes and forms are not as easy to digest in the virtual world. The reason world. I can support that argument is because you have to build so much context into an exterior virtual reality model. Again, you don't have the time to do that. Mm-hmm. And so to build a physical version of that or a facade in a 3D, to see the layering of detailing on that still is probably better done that way. Yeah. I mean, like, you've got a 17-story building. If you mm-hmm. can 3D print that versus... Yes, I'll show you even if it was, when we're done. Even if it was 12 inches tall. Yeah, we have the 3D prints, and we have the guy that made the really nice yeah, model. Those are still going to give me a better understanding of the the yeah. form and yeah. the physical the physicalness that of good. the exterior than okay, look, being inside I'm gonna, the building. I'm going to wrap this up, because we have to get to, really, the best 15 minutes of <laughs> podcasting that exists anywhere. But we're playing another show for the my <laughs> my takeaway. My takeaway from today's conversation is that I think we all agree that physical models have a bigger impact on the space when people come to them and they see them and they interact with them. But that digital modeling is a more powerful tool for actually the act of creating architecture. Agreed. Well summed up. I think that's yeah. a fair statement. We could, Nailed it. We could, yes. Yeah. How many times <laughs> do you have to rewrite that? I don't know. I just did that off the top of my head. Whatever. It's crazy. Okay. So, Andrew Bennett, this is your first hypothetical because that's where we're at now. The hypothetical. Yes. And we're making you answer the question first. Yeah, because you're going to throw me under the bus no, and tell me that it doesn't work. Because I don't want I, you. Don't know what you I'm have thinking. listened to yes, the show. I have. <laughs> yeah. No, I told him. Yes. Okay. I no, told him that you, I told you him didn't need to tell me. I know. I want you to go first, and Andrew Hawkins, you're going second, because I don't want you guys copying my answer. Mm-hmm. I don't want you cheating off my work. That's sure. why you have to go first. Because let me tell you, there is a wrong answer. Oh, there's probably only one right and 999 wrong ones. Yes. You understand how it works. Yes. Okay, so here we go. And for the listeners, both Andrews received this question yes, ahead of time. I was going to say that. Yeah, so they've had time to think about it. So I haven't slept answer, all week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so nervous. I don't put that much time into it because I know it's going to be wrong. He forgets half the time. He's like, oh, what's the question again? Okay, here we go. You're halfway through walking down a long alleyway when an angry, full-grown chimpanzee steps around the corner at the end, and you can tell he's about to charge you. To your right, you see a box of fruit, a shovel, and a small hatchet. As the chimpanzee begins his charge, there's only time to grab one of these items. What's your next move? He first, right? Yeah, you first. So wrong. I'm, <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> just say a sentence, and he can tell you it's wrong. Monkey, wrong. Yeah. Alley, wrong. So how big is this chimpanzee? It's full grown. Full you don't grown. know he how. Yeah, grown. I said full grown. And those guys. Male? Oh, jeez, yes. they are so strong. So. Six times stronger than a human. I think on many levels very quickly. And obviously, there's a pretty big dilemma when this occurs, right? So I'll just cut to the chase. I'm grabbing the shovel. Okay, mm-hmm. It's long. Mm-hmm. It's something I can sort of ward the thing off with. I did grow up playing baseball. I actually alluded to that earlier. Not, not Totally not on purpose as it relates to this answer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've seen way too many cool movies where you swing something and miss and you're done. I mean, they, they got you then. So I'm not swinging at this thing with a shovel, but I'm going to... Use it if I have to, to prod him off of me. And then I'm also still pretty quick for my age. And I'm running back the other way with said shovel and getting back to the other end of the alley so I can... But, but you're, you're running backwards at this point, No, though. 
No, you're, tur- I'm you're turning forwards with my eyes backwards and the shovel in my hand. That monkey has just leapt on your back and has pulled your face off. No, because fail. <laughs> <laughs> you never described how long the alley. It's a long. Is. I did. No, you said very long. Yeah, so that's but you're good. only halfway. Yeah, yeah, but he's a halfway. He's got to catch up. I know they're six times stronger, and I know they're really fast. Yeah. But I've got the shovel in case he gets to me. And then, like a lot of these other movies, I'm like, I'm looking for places to jump fences, get over other things. And I know he can do that, too. But anyway, yeah, and shovel a, is the answer. And, and a run lot by, you know what, the other way is part of the answer. Okay. Can I, t- can I tell you why you're wrong? <laughs> yes, please. Okay. This is awesome. Can we stop you? It's a better question. I just want to point out that there's no way you're outrunning a chimpanzee. I, I didn't say outrun. I, I got to do something. I'm not yes. going to sit there So you're like, you're like going to take the shovel. You're going to take the shovel. To ward it off, and then you said you were going to turn your back to this animal. No, I'm going to run and full forward back the way I came, y- looking over my shoulder. Oh, and I think I left this part out. I'm going to make a ton of noise to like really like see if la, this. La, yeah, la, la, no, no, not like la 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 la. <laughs> I think I'll blow your speakers if I really did it. But you know, I'm going to go like bonkers. You would scream like a small girl. Like no, like bonkers, like <laughs> five hundred small girls. Okay, like a very Doing large Mia. gorilla. Like a large girl. Gorilla. <laughs> you want me to blow my... I can, I okay, can be look. really loud. Okay, tell me more of why I'm wrong about the shovel. No, I, I, I'm not going to say you're wrong about the shovel. What I'm going to say you're wrong is trying to run away. It's not going to work. Okay. Because like its purpose is to get you. Well, yeah. So well, you we don't like, know that. It could be like, wanting to do other things. No, no. That's the premise It could want to have a meal. No. Like maybe that's why the answer is maybe the fruit. But The premise here is that so. it's charging you. It yeah. turns the corner like it's just uh, it's oh, a sunny yeah. day it's mad. here and wherever. It sees you and it's like, I'm coming after you. It doesn't you. like you automatically because of your red shirt. Yeah. Yes. So it's coming for you. You got the shovel. You're like, stay away from me. And at some point, you're turning and running away. And if you're looking over your shoulder, I got the shovel and I'm out of there. If you're looking over your shoulder, okay, I got to say this. You can let me say it. Yes. If I'm looking over my shoulder, I'm not running that fast. (laughs) Even if like whatever your top speed is. you sound like my baseball coach. It's reduced if you're you're looking behind. You're absolutely true about that. And so that that monkey's on you. So what part of your body did it just rip off? That's my question. (laughs) (laughs) It took the shovel first and then now it's probably beating you with the shovel. All right. Okay, Andrew. You want to? How wrong do you want to be? Andrew's like, I see who's more Andrew's wrong. like, I was going to take the shovel. No, I was, I was not going to take the shovel. <laughs> I was going to run the other way. <laughs> That's not what I was going to do at all. Okay, let's hear. Mine's probably much more terrible. Much more incorrect. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's hear it. Let's I'm go. Pick up the hatchet. Oh, you're done. You're done. <laughs> right? That was my theory. It's no, like no way. you said, small hatchet. That's right, because you're like, like ha hatchet. It's like a paper cut to that guy when you hit him the one time, and then you're done. And it's gonna take the hatchet from you and then beat you with it. Yes. Okay. See, so I'm not gonna argue. Yeah, you're just giving up. Well, I'm no, I'm not giving up. But my <laughs> definition of what I'm capable of doing with a hatchet to a chimpanzee is not viable to you. If so you guys ever break up no point. As, as podcast buddies, it'll be because of this hypothetical no, that no, you're no. telling him he's always wrong. No, he knows that I'm only kind of kidding. <laughs> no, kind of. <laughs> I would move on the offensive or I'm just going to curl up in a ball, not grab anything and curl up in a ball. And I just met him. He's not a small man. He could make some fear. And... I mean, yes, I would be concerned, but I would also... <laughs> If I would a monkey, also have confidence in my ability to get in a fight with a monkey. If, mon- a if a monkey's charging him, he would be concerned. If you get him good <laughs> once in the carotid or somewhere. That's what I'm saying. Know, if I knee, get him, get him if in I, the knee. If my first. You got one shot. Right to his face. Yeah. Yeah. Right across the face. Yeah. 
And if you don't think that I have the ability to do that, no, I'm then not you underestimate my ability. Your life. You're going to do, no. do it. Actually, you're both partially The hatchet's correct. starting to warm up on me you're a little both, bit. I'm not sure you got what it takes. <laughs> Andrew's a little bit bigger than you. All right. Because that's... Because in reality, I'm probably built like a large chimpanzee. I got pretty long arms. But you know what? We already established that your aerobic capacity is very small. No, it's not. It's not as small as you think. You're like one shot you and you'll be are... going, oh. No, no. I'm tired. <laughs> See, this is it, right? This like, is me. I, I just came into this. Yeah. No, right? this is, he told me, what did I say? We were talking earlier and I said, he goes, such a joke. he goes, where do we turn? I go, just right. It's so close. You could hold your breath. And he's like, I think you're overestimating yeah, my is... ability to hold my breath. <laughs> but I'm not going to be holding my breath. I'm going to be breathing in a lot. Yeah. All right, so but yes, I'm gonna attack. I'm gonna go on the aggressive, aggressive hatchet. Mm-hmm. Like I'll grab the hatchet. And I'm gonna start running towards him, and he's gonna make noise too, probably. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be screaming, and you, I'm gonna be running at him just as fast as he's running at me. You're both partially correct, because there's actually there is a really I'm there's gonna, correct answer gonna, to this. I'm gonna wear that well. Yeah, I'm about I'm partially. To, correct. I'm about to give you the right. But that's answer. because you've probably like cheated. No, I didn't. And you cheat. Googled. <laughs> What to if do. I'm in the yeah. if I'm yeah. out in the wild in the jungle and I come across chimpanzees, what should I are do? You well, trying, are probably, you trying to say me being prepared is a bad thing? Yeah, I'm you did the zoo it. thing. You, this is probably a did I not give you both the zoo this thing. question prior to today? Yeah, but yes. this is not that's not really what you should do. Though. Uh, no, I actually didn't do any research on it. This uh-huh. is just I just know I'm right because of my OCPD that <laughs> we talked about on the last episode. Yeah. Okay, so okay. you're right with the shovel. You're right with the attacking. You trying to run away, game over. Yes. Right? There's no way. Like, I don't think I'm weak, but I go, I got one kill shot with a hatchet. And I go, there's too many moving parts to that to think. Yeah. Like, that monkey could run at the last second, jump to the sidewall, and yes. then push off. And yes. I'm like, what? what? Yes. Behind, you know, <laughs> I'm like, swing and miss air. So I oh, go, yeah. maybe you can do that. Yep. I'm not saying you can't. I'm confident in my abilities to yeah. run. You just got to have one good shot. Make sure you have your will done. Yeah. Before you walk down the next alley that could possibly have a chimpanzee, chimpanzee. in it. That's mad at me. That yes. wants to hurt yeah. me. Yeah. Well, as opposed to run away mad. from me. Isn't that all chimpanzees? No. They you, don't do that when I'm at the zoo. They kind of them, run away from me. They love you. No, they just run away from me. They're beaten down at that point. I think the shovel's the right way to do it. Because, you know, I want to keep that thing as far away. Length. Distance. It's got the length. But also, I'd be like banging that thing on the ground yeah, and scraping it. See if I can make some Make a noise that, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I would charge it. You know, it's like you could make yourself as big as possible. Yes. But the premise is, is you have to be more ferocious than they are. Yes. It is angry. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is going to take a lot. And we didn't really speak to why is it so angry. Maybe you just found out that it's chimpanzee wife is cheating on it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's someone has to pay. Or it thinks that box of fruit is his and, and he hasn't eaten in four days. Yeah. He wants that fruit. But the part of me is maybe I just stand there and just start throwing fruit at him. Yes. Yeah, and maybe but, it hits him in the mouth. He's like, oh, that's pretty good. I, the, I knew the fruit was definitely eating. not. I asked, this, I asked this question to my daughter, Kate. And she's like, fruit. And I was like, oh, oh you're, you're dead. dead. <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> and she goes, I'd run the other way. And I go, you're slow. There's no way you're going to make it. She's like, it's distracted by the fruit. Yes. So that's why I had to mend my thing that says you, you only meat. have time for one thing. The thing would be kick the box of fruit over yes. and then use oh, I would the shovel. Good point. I would do that. Or throw the hatchet. Oh, but see, I'm not throwing the hatchet. You hang on to the hatchet. No, I'm holding on to the shovel. Because no. I'm thinking. You know yeah, why you don't again, hold That six times strength thing, he's going to pick you and the shovel. Do you up. know why you don't hold on the shovel? Because if he gets a hold of that, he has so much more leverage over yes. you. Oh, I'm thinking. Because it's 
I'm going to hit it no, in the face out. and it's going to go poing and I'm going to have a monkey shaped face <laughs> in the mouth. <laughs> like in the cartoon. And he's going to be vibrating. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. And you're going to be, you're going to see the little Remember, We actually did have another monkey episode. It was about eating well, a knife. Thing. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it was a different one, but yeah. <laughs> and again, in that scenario, what did I do? I still was the person that would kill the monkey. You were like, I don't know if I could do it. I don't want to kill animals. I'm like, I'm the I'm one hungry, that I'm the one that said eat you the said knife. You'd be singing about it, but I was oh. like, yeah, I'm gonna kill animals. I'll save the cute ones for last, yeah. but I'm still gonna kill the animals if I'm hungry. Okay, so I think other than Andrew's like overconfidence in his hatchet skills, when's the last time you used the hatchet for anything? Last a, weekend, a small one. Last weekend, small. Last weekend, on petite hatchet. I'm talking about a regular hatchet, about that big, right? Yeah, yes. Last week. That big being 14 inches. What'd you do? I cut branches and trees in my backyard. With a hatchet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And no monkeys came in his yard that day. What do you like, Paul Bunyan? It's easier than getting out a saw and stuff. I can just whack at it. He has some aggression issues. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which is why the monkey's toast in his world. Yeah, he wouldn't just do one kill shot. He would just no, like, I mean, it would literally just, be adrenaline. Have you ever seen Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom? <laughs> the adrenaline would be going at that point. Yeah. You're going to do what you got to do. And then lights out. And then I might fall over and pass out after the monkey was dead because <laughs> yeah. I would be so exhausted. But I'm going to take care of it. We've seen that scene too. <laughs> okay. So there we go. I think we established that while I was 100% right, you guys had some degree of being correct. <laughs> <sighs> I'll take partial credit. You take partial credit. Yeah, he's only doing that because you're here. Yeah. He's if being you weren't slightly here, I would nicer no than credit. No, that's not true whatsoever. I really do think we might have a little hatchet competition later. That's fine. Okay, I'm going to call that a wrap. Thank you for being with us today for episode 34. Let's get physical. If you liked today's episode, please take the next 30 seconds and head over to iTunes or your favorite listening app and subscribe so that you can get smoking hot new episodes and while you're there please leave us some feedback as we'd really like to hear your thoughts on the show and please leave us a five star let's get physical rating (laughs) if you're not familiar that is an olivia newton john reference from the early 80s olivia newton john jams be sure to visit the original life of an architect.com for show notes links info and photos from this episode also be sure to stick around to the very end and we'll attempt to reward you with our version of a blooper reel. We'd also like to say thanks to Andrew Bennett for joining us today. Your insight was valuable. It was really fun. It was really awesome. Thanks for having Thanks me. for being here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. This all needs to get cut out, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Okay, so now that I have two active Andrews as part of my daily routine, my wife and I have had conversations about how to differentiate between the two because i'll say so i was talking to andrew and she'll go oh which one so we've been trying to figure out since andrew hawkins is the original andrew we're thinking that he's earned the right to remain just plain old andrew i prepare i I, want want, me to be off guard i want nobody else to prepare so i look better (laughs) yes there's the real truth of the matter yes that is exactly how it operates that's not really what it is it's it's control though I don't want you to prepare so that we can do it my way. <laughs> or you can do whatever you want. Okay. Just, uh, yeah, I just, I want, I want people to know I'm the biggest pompous ass you've ever met. Right. Okay. I okay. think that's the word on the street already. Yeah, I know. We're well, good. if that's what you want, I can definitely edit it that way. <laughs> yeah. And we just, it's not a problem. You just said it. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> it's in there. Okay. Did that, is that thing going? I don't know. Okay.
This is a first class operation here. Sure is. That's our theme song. No, now. it's not. <laughs> you do need to, if you're going to keep going with that, you need a little hypothetical theme song, I think. And subscribe so that you can get. God, Come on, man. Just uh, no, 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 no. Do I it. Had it. Wait, I had it. Um, I've changed the script up on him. <laughs> well, no, because I, ha- I actually changed it earlier in my head. You wimped out. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say see you later, bitches. 